0: into the Word. Are you ready this morning? Yes. So it's Father's Day. Yeah. Happy Father's Day to all of our daddies that are in here, all of you that will be a daddy that aren't a daddy. It's coming. It's it's coming. I want to, uh, you know, I went back and forth with with what I don't usually like to title a message. I do that simply for the sake of putting them on YouTube. and And when we have files that hold the services, we have all of them for all the way back to 1999, if you're ever interested in, in how I preached way back in 1999. In fact, we can go all the way back to 1986 if you'd like to do that, but um, you would be disappointed. But if, however far back you want to go, you can go that far back and hear uh, the words that have come from this house. But I can tell you in the, in the years since we established the Rock of Central Florida, uh, talking about fathers has always been a joy of mine. It's always been a joy of mine. I've loved to speak of fathers. What does it mean to be a father? I was a, I'm was. a man that was fathered. I was fathered both naturally and spiritually. Um, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, my fathers, the one who fathered me naturally and spiritually, and then the one that only fathered me spiritually, both of them had great strengths and both of them had weaknesses. Both of them had times when they did it right. And both of them had times when... It just wasn't. And it it might have been right in the moment, but in the end it wasn't. But at the end of the day, one thing that always stood true is that they were my father then and they are my father now. And I am incredibly, incredibly thankful for who they are. So I want to talk about this today and I'm going to, though I don't use titles, I'm going to use this today, Shaped by a Father. I want to ask you a couple of, make a couple of statements here and just bring us kind of in tune because when I think of fathering, when I think of being a father, I have two reference points really to make naturally speaking. One of them is as I am a father of three children that grew up in my household, and as they grew up in my house, I had to learn uh, how to, I took bits and pieces out of what I was taught, and the parts that worked, I worked in them, and the parts that didn't work in me, I did not work in my children, or I gave them the improved version, and um, whatever it took. But I can tell you that as I learned from, as being a father, and I learned by being fathered. So when I think of a daddy, I consider stories in Scripture that really are hilarious to me. And I think of moments, I've done this before and I've probably shared it before, so bear with me if I have. But I think of moments that uh, are kind of humorous to me and I, and I look at those and I think, man, I wonder what that would have been like. And, and one of those things was I've, every time I read the story of Noah's Ark, and I go through that story, and him building the ark, and the children are there, and the family's there, and they're all helping him, and they're pulling this timber and that timber. And then I watch the movies, you know, that they had. Uh, probably the best one that I've seen, actually, uh, so far that I liked was the one with uh, the dude from Gladiator. What was his name? Russell Crowe. Russell Crow. I really enjoyed that version of that, that Noah's Ark. And um, as I watch that, I can't help but see the ark and, and visualize myself. Man, if I were a little kid and my dad were building the ark, it would have been hard to find me. Because I would have been climbing this timber. I would have been hiding in that corner. I would have been making me little places. I would have been getting in the hay and building me little forts. It, can you imagine being a child of the father building the ark? What a playground he had made. I mean, you're, you're, he's looking for you to drive the next peg into that gopher wood, and you're nowhere to be found. Because instead of handing daddy pegs, you're off in the corner of the ark seeing what, asking yourself, can I jump from the second floor space? <laughs> you know, you're just, you're inquiring. You're, wow, you're getting up. I wonder if I can climb out on that beam that's way out there, if I could get all the way. You're exploring and you're envisual, envisioning, you know, all of these things that this ark is because you see it as something daddy's creating, Not necessarily something that's about to change the world. So from our perspective as children, when we watch our fathers, we see this as a momentary thing. Oh, dad's building the ark today, but tomorrow he'll be working on the ford. You know, and that's kind of the way we approach it as a child when we think about what our dads are doing. You know, it's we don't see this as a life experience. We don't see this as something that might impact me for the rest of my entire life. I've told you the story over and over. I'm going to tell it again, so just bear with me. But growing up, my dad was a, a farmer. He loved to farm, and he grew up a farmer, and he had a garden, and he grew beans and raspberries and blackberries and okra and tomatoes and squash and corn and potatoes and you name it. He grew it, and he grew more than he ever needed, so we had to pick it anyway just so that he could give it away. Never understood that. I always was hoping this is the last year my dad's going to (laughs) garden. So as I would go into it, I never considered that it might be a lifetime experience for me, but I'm going to tell it quick. But we'd go in there, we'd pick all these beans, we'd go through the blackberries, and we'd pick them. And by the time we finished a row of blackberries, we were bloody from knuckle to elbow because you're reaching in there, and there's thorns and bristles everywhere. But we would pick it, and we would, we would take care of these things. And, but I never really paid attention because I thought, you know, this is today. Tomorrow it will be over. This lesson is a today lesson. Tomorrow it's, a no, no, it's just not a lesson worth learning. Sometimes we do that in our school. We think, why do I even need this? I'll never need this. Only to find out in 15 years, boy, I wish I'd have listened. I'm just saying that for the students out there today. That's just... <laughs> And, we, and, it's, and it's probably true that there's some things that you're learning today you may never use, but the truth is you'll never do anything that you don't use some of what you learn. Throughout your life, you're going to find you're pulling on bits and pieces. So as time went by, and I grew up, and I got married, and I decided I wanted my own garden, I planted some beans. I thought, Dad did it. I picked beans forever. I was a bean picker, man. I knew how to do it. I'm going to grow these beans, and I grew these beans and had a beautiful bush, and one bean, one bean <laughs> grew on that thing. And I'd, and you know what? I don't know what we did with that bean. Did we eat that one bean? <laughs> it's seed for the beans that still have not yet come. So hold on for, because I'm telling you the reward is on its way. But I've never planted another bean bush, but I'm going to. Because I learned from that. And, and I think about these stories like the boys of Noah growing up in that boat and watching Daddy build that thing. And they're looking at this thing like, wow, this is today. This is something Dad's doing today. wonder what he'll be doing tomorrow. And they enjoyed the moment. Same thing, Jesus in the, in the house of a carpenter. Imagine what it's like to grow up in a and I, That's what I would have liked. To grow up in the house of a carpenter and say, Daddy, tell me about this tool. Uh, he probably drove Joseph nuts. He's probably, Joseph was probably like, listen, Jesus, I need you to watch and Listen. Stop asking questions because I'm not going to get this table finished. You know, John next door wants this dining room table for his new house. And I'm trying to get this thing set up. And Jesus, you're not helping by asking too many questions. I just want you to watch and learn how to do this. What I need you to do right now, here's the leg. I want you to go over there and sand that leg. So Jesus goes over there and starts sanding the leg. And probably because he's Jesus, he probably had a better idea. So he probably came back to, Christ, to Joseph and he probably said, Joseph, I just talked to my father and my father said that there's a better idea. We can just speak the word and we can grow a leg didn't work that way. But imagine growing up in, in that kind of a place, that kind of an environment, and being able to enjoy that. I'd have been the guy that was over there always in the sawdust. Wherever the pile of sawdust was, I'd sweep it up, and I'd be making things, and I'd be figuring out what I could do with this sawdust and all the different ways I could stuff it into the bed of my sisters. And whatever I could do with that sawdust, I would be working on that. Or... Imagine being a child of Jesse, one of those sons of Jesse, and, and playing and going out there and raising sheep and, and just enjoying the field. Because I love all of these things. I love wood today. I love the field today. I love being in the woods today. You know that about me. And I love exploring. So whether it was the ark or, or whether it was the wood shop or whether it was out in the field with the sheep, I'm an explorer. And I love these things. And I would have enjoyed a little bit of each of these things. And, and, and I think when we as people, when we imagine this, I think that's the nature of us. Yahweh put that in all of us. He put these seeds in us to allow us to be children when we should be children. And then to be trained to be adults when the time came. But there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a key to that transition from childhood to adulthood. There's a key. See, while Joseph was probably saying to Jesus and laughing with him at times and saying, You know what? Son, Listen. Don't ask questions right now. What I want you to do just right now is just watch and just, just sand that thing over there. And, 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 and in a part of Christ, it might have felt like, man, he's not really paying attention to me. The reality of it was he knew, wait a minute. If I think about this for a moment, what he's doing is he's helping me to be quiet so that I can do the job because doing the job teaches me how to do it. But continuing to ask questions without first doing is not teaching me anything. And I think about these stories about my own father, my personal experience with my father, and I just want to share a few, if you'll give me the moment, because I want you to reflect on some of your own. But when I was a kid, my dad worked at a company. My dad passed away in 2013, but he worked at a company called AC Spark Plug. And one of the things when I was living with him, depending on whether I was with him or my mother, but when I was with my father, one of the things that I enjoyed is if that overlapped with family day at AC Spark Plug. Because on family day, he could bring myself and my brother, and he would bring us into the company that he worked making spark plugs like you get today in your car, AC Delco. And I would go into this shop, and he would take us down the assembly line, and I was fascinated by everything I didn't understand. I didn't understand any of it. I didn't understand this porcelain pot that was melting this stuff to make that plug you know the coating and and what the purpose of that was for when I look at it if I walked down the assembly line without my dad it would have made no sense would have been cool would have been wow look at that's pouring glass into that that's doing that that's doing that would have been a neat experience but walking that assembly line with my father he was able to say son this is the porcelain this is poured over the top of that aluminum, whatever it is, that is the, the metal part of the spark plug, that's poured over the top of that, and that's why, that this is why. And he would explain every step, and he would walk me down the line of this massive plant where thousands of people worked, and he would introduce me to his friends and his fellow uh, co-workers, and this is my, these are my sons, and and they're here today, and I just want you to meet them, and kids, you know, Steve, Jr., these are, this is, Rex, and this is what he does, you know. And and he would tell us and explain all the little pieces of the puzzle that went along. And then we'd get to the end always, every single time. We would get to the end of family day, which would be the end of the assembly line. And all that little porcelain stuff that they had, all that was left over, the runoff that they would have when they had formed the spark plugs, would be poured into this massive cauldron at the end of the line. And in that massive cauldron, they would then pour that into little... uh, I don't know what the liquid was, but it was some kind of liquid, and it would cause those, that porcelain stuff to form into balls that were never perfectly round, but they were round. They were shaped. So it would cool those, that porcelain so quickly, and, and then it would just create these little balls that were manageable. And then they could dispose of it however they wanted to. And it was always my moment of joy because we would get to the end of that and my dad would say, take all that you want. So we would reach into this pot and we would have a little bag and we would take all these little balls. Heavy, I mean they're heavy. I still have some today. Still have some in my house right now. And I would take some of these little balls and we'd put them in there. We'd take them to school and we'd be playing marbles with these oblongs. They wouldn't roll straight because they were oddly shaped. But I loved those moments and I, and I loved when I would go into the garage with my dad because he was such an amazing guy. I thought he knew everything. I thought he was the smartest person in the world because if he was working on the car, he never gave us the option, whether it was in the garden or the car, working on the car, whatever. He never gave us the option. Maybe you might want to come and watch me. It was like, I'm working on the car. Get out here. As soon as you finish your plate, get out here in the garage. So we'd go out in the garage and in in the beginning, we'd be like, oh man, I'd, I'd rather do something. We didn't have video games, but I'd rather be playing baseball. And we would go out in the garage, and when we get out there, and we'd climb under that car, he would jack it up. I always thought that was fascinating. But to be truthful, as an 8, 9, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, I always wondered, and what happens if that doesn't work? Suddenly. You know, that's in your mind. But I'd climb under that car, do absolutely nothing. But I would climb under that car and my dad would, you know, break the nut loose to change the oil or he'd be loosening things up to set the timing belt and he'd put that little apparatus on there. He'd be changing a master cylinder, changing the... Whatever it was he was doing, he would do that. And in the process of that, while I'm sitting under the car with my father with my dad, I'm learning without even realizing I'm learning. And I'm gaining experience that I didn't know that I would ever need. And I'm, and I'm drawing all of this in. And, and as I'm there, my dad would say, son, what I need is a half-inch half open-end wrench. Well, dad, I, what's a half-end open-inch wrench? Well, it's that funny-looking thing. It's about yay long, and you're going to find it over there in my red toolbox. I want you to go get that half-inch open-end wrench. And I want you to bring that to me. And I'd go over there in the box, and I'd bring him one, and he'd say, that's the wrong one. I'd bring him another one, that's the wrong one. He said, what you're going to do is you're going to look right here. It's going to tell you what size it is. It, always craftsman. It was always craftsman. So you, you just look at what the size was, and you're going to bring it, and, and I'd bring it, and he'd say, that's the one. And he kept doing that. I didn't know he was teaching me anything. And then the day came when I realized, he said, son, I want you to bring me a three-quarter box end box-in wrench. And I'd go, and I'd get that three-quarter, and I wouldn't even think about it. And I'd go get it, and I'd bring it to my dad. He'd say, okay, and he'd just do the job. And the job would be completed. I didn't realize that he was teaching me in that way. And I remember the days when I would go hunting with my dad for deer, and we'd go out into the woods, and it was a freezing cold morning. There's snow on the ground. All I want to do is be wrapped up in a wonderful quilt that my grandmother had made. (laughs) And he would get us up. The sun wasn't even up yet. I was afraid of everything moving in the woods, every sound that the woods made. And he would put me beside a tree. It's probably 4 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning. He would set me up beside a tree, and he'd say, you're going to sit right here. It's pitch dark. You can see absolutely nothing. He would set me down beside that tree, and I would sit down, and he would say, you stay right there, and when you see a deer, I'll just keep it clean. He just said, aim and shoot. Don't worry about it. Just aim and shoot. And click the save, and he told me how to do it. So I'd sit there, and it's pitch dark, and then suddenly he's gone in the darkness. I'm sitting in the, I have no flashlight. I have no means of being able to see what's in front of me. I'm sitting in pitch black. I'm a little boy, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm looking out. But I remember the first time a deer came out. The sun had just rose. I'm looking off in the distance. There's two little animals moving in the distance, and I have a 12-gauge shotgun with a slug and, and buckshot. And I see these two little deer coming off in the distance, and they look like dogs. And that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, oh, there's dogs out here. (laughs) It's my first deer. And I'm, wow. But I knew, be still, be still. And these little dogs came up, and they got closer. And when I realized that they were deer, I raised and did everything that my dad taught me. It was the first one I'd ever shot. So I didn't realize, you know, how much I had learned. And I remember clicking that safety off, pointing that rifle pointing it at the chest, the shoulders, right behind the shoulders of the deer, and I hit him in the neck. That was wonderful that I did actually hit him. But pulled that trigger, and I got my first deer. And these experiences growing up with my dad were just in, just incredible. And then one last story I want to tell you, and, and this is kind of a humorous one, but I remember when uh, my brother and I, we were little again, and, and uh, my family, we lived down the street. I showed my wife recently where this was, but we lived down the street from a, a, a little uh, Sunshine Dairy. That's what they called it, a Sunshine Dairy. It was a looked like a little teepee building, but it was a drive through store that you would just drive up and you would tell them what you wanted. They brought it to the car. You never got out of your car unless you wanted to go inside. So they needed something for, they just needed some things. And so my dad said, son, I want you and you guys, both of you, to go, my older brother and me. I want you to go down to Sunshine Dairy and I want you to get this and I want you to come home and you need to be here quickly because we have to leave. So we're young, you know, we're little. My brother's four years older than me, four and a half years. And we begin to move on down to Sunshine Dairy. It's a long walk, it's probably a half mile away. We get down to the Sunshine Dairy, but like every child, we get in there. And when we get in there, the first thing that they have right there by the door is a rack of comic books. What kid, what boy, nine, ten years old, is going to pass up Superman? There's no chance. Spider Man. And we walk up here, and me and my brother are standing here, we're reading through these comic books because we didn't have money for the comic books. We're just reading them, at, and the next thing we know, there's a shoulder on, there's a hand on both of our shoulders. And we turn around and we look up and now the same dad that taught me how to work on a car, the same dad that taught me how to pick a bean and a raspberry. <laughs> That same dad that took me through that family day on spark pl- for, to see how a spark plug was made is the same dad, when I looked up into his eyes, is the same dad that's about to teach me a valuable lesson. <laughs> and all he said was, get in the car. And my brother and I knew exactly what get in the car meant. And we got in the car, and he took us home, and he went into the other room, and he He said, stay right here. We were in the family room, walked in the front door. He said, stay right here. He went in the other room. He came back and he had a belt in his hand. And we knew that he was not going to try that on us. He was. (laughs) And suddenly fear and trembling took over. And he said, bend over those chairs. He pulled two chairs over. He said, bend over those chairs. We both bend over those chairs. And he commenced to seeing what kind of whether or not that. Belt would leave a mark, and certainly it did. And he, he whipped us, he spanked us, he disciplined us. I, I don't want to use the word whip or spank, I want to use the word discipline. He disciplined us, he did not spare the rod. Now, so there might be people listening to my voice today that say, well, that's, that's uncalled for, that's unnecessary. Well, maybe for you, I'd, I'd put how my dad raised his kids up against how you raise yours any day. And I can tell you that as a result of that, as a result of that, I stand here before you today. I stand here as a man I know how to honor, I know how to love, I know how to respect. I spanked my children. I, I, I did not spare the rod. Ask any of my children. We did not spare the rod on my children. And I, am, I, I do not have one day of regret. In fact, every, most every parent I've ever known that had any regret about how their children turned out are parents who spared the rod. Almost 100% of the time. They were afraid, I don't want to hurt my kids. It's not about hurting. You, you need a different interpretation. This is not what this is about today. But I will say this, I would not exchange one whelp or whipping for the alternative. Those moments shaped me and those moments formed me. Those moments before my father is he, one day, that the same hand that loved me was the same hand that said, this is the way, walk in it. That same hand that said, son, I want to teach you this is the same hand, I'm going to teach you this with gentleness is the same hand that said, I'm going to teach you this, and it's going to require a little encouragement. And I say to you today, there is no alternative for fathers. There is no alternative for daddies. Noah understood this. He understood that there in no way are shortcuts to being a daddy. Go with me to Genesis chapter 9, if you would, please. Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, beginning with verse 18, reads like this It says, The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. There's a reason that that is disclosed here. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Interesting story here because of what transpires, what goes on in in this particular story. You know, Noah, by no means, was a man of perfection. And some would say that Noah, in Noah's sin, that Ham uncovered his sin. I don't know that his nakedness was sin. There's really no reference point to to definitively define it that way there is no reference point that because he he had something to drink and he was in his tent that he had somehow sinned the sin here isn't about what Noah did the sin here is about what a son did the sin is about what that child did I remember thinking back on my father one time and, and let me back up and and ham choosing and I'll get into this a little deeper but ham choosing to uncover his daddy and I remember again my same father that raised me. I, I, remember a moment when he was working on a washing machine and when a clothes washing machine and when he was working on it again I was helping him and he had told me to get this tool and I got this tool for him and and we were holding he was holding a spring one end of the spring and he asked me to hold the other end of the spring and I was with my little bit of strength doing the very best I could to hold the other end of this of the spring and what you have to know is while we're holding this you have to know that my dad loved God I mean, there is, when I think of a man of God, the first person I have to go to is him, my father. He was, in every way, he loved God. It was, God. Yahweh was important to him in every sense of the word. But as he's holding one end of the spring, and I'm holding the other end of the spring, I still see it to this day. I'm little. I don't even know how little. I'm little. I'm not even 10 yet. But I'm doing my best to hold the other end of the spring, and I slipped because I didn't have the strength to hold it, and that spring snapped back and it caught him on the thumb, and he said a curse word. And my world shattered. (laughs) Oh, Dad, you're going to hell. But he let out this curse word. He said, Oh, and I said, Oh, God. I don't remember what I said. I just remember thinking, I've never heard him say that before. But he said that, and then he quickly said, Son, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that, but it hurt. <laughs> now, in that time of my life, I remember the story. I remember that part of the story. I don't remember the outcome of the story. I don't remember if I held that against my dad. I doubt it. But I do know this. Um, in, in every sense of the word, I, I tell that story today humorously. I tell that story today because it's funny, but I never went to anybody and I t- and tell that story to uncover my dad in the sense to shame him. I never looked for a way to go to people and let them know, I want to tell you what my dad is, so if you think he is high and mighty, I just want to bring him off of his throne. I never tried to find a way, of course, I was young. And I hope that the same would be true as an older son. But I I didn't try to find a way to knock him down a notch. And this is the spirit of Ham. The spirit of Ham is trying to find a way. They loved their father. But as you read on, you read the story, you begin to discover. But the spirit of Ham is, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to bring my dad down a notch. He thinks he's pretty important. And indeed he was. But Ham goes in there and he sees his father's nakedness and he immediately goes out and he begins to tell his brothers and who, who knows who else, but he tells his brothers, you're not going to believe it, dad's in there naked, you know, this man that he's drunk and naked and this man that we thought was so incredible and so godly and so righteous and so holy and he heard the voice of God building an ark and all of these things, we thought this was amazing and, and then we're out there in the waters and the, you know all these unrighteous people die but there lays dad in the tent, is he really who he says he is? And here's a young man, he's the youngest, and here's a young man that goes in there and he begins to uncover his father, not because, not in the sense of, man, you're not going to believe it, I went in there and oh my gosh, I can't believe it, I just saw dad naked, I'm so, I'm, I can't believe it. let's get him covered up real quick. Instead of looking and saying, let's tend to our father. There was this sense of, man, I've been waiting for this moment, I'm going to remind everybody that he's not really this high and mighty dude. So immediately, Shem and Japheth take this garment, this blanket, and they lay it over their shoulders. They walk in backward, and they begin to cover their dad in that tent. And they recognize there is no absolutely no way, no matter what he did, and in no matter what condition, we might find him. He is our father, and he is worthy of honor. Doesn't matter what this moment might look like, but he is our dad, and he is worthy of honor. Now, then I think it's interesting when Noah wakes up. Let me get to my point. When Noah wakes up and he realizes what has taken place, and I want to back up and go to this verse. It says, when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He did not curse Ham. He cursed his seed. He did not curse the son. He cursed the son's seed. And he said his seed will serve his brothers. I always would read that and I would always wonder why did he curse the seed? And this week, I believe, Holy Spirit gave me the answer. He cursed his seed for this reason. He cursed his seed because he recognized if I don't deal with the seed, this will be generational. Generational. It's too late for Ham, but it's not too late for his seed. I spared the rod on Ham, but I'm bringing the rod to the seed. Because if I don't do something about this now, there'll never be a correction. And then I think what is amazing is the promised land became what? Canaan. Canaan. Became the promised land that Israel dwelt in when they left Egypt. That's the miracle of God. That's the miracle of being, that's the amazing moment in Noah's, one of the most amazing, I think that moment is more important in Noah's life than building the ark. Is the fact that instead of looking at that sun and saying, What have you done? We're recognizing, There might not be time for you, but I can still save your seed. So I'm going to curse your seed until they recognize and understand what they have done, what you have brought into their life, and someone breaks the chain. Noah understood that what a child learns today will impact every single child after him. The uncovering of ham was present in his seed, and his seed would thereafter always serve God. Those who covered. Those who uncover, listen to me, will always serve those who cover. Those who cover will always serve those who uncover. Those who are looking for a way not to bring down, but instead to build up will always be served by those who are always looking for a way to bring down. Too many fathers today allow their children to find their own place in God instead of placing their children into the presence and care of God. I will, I'll say it again. I wrote it down so I can say it exactly like that. Too many fathers allow their children to find their own place in God instead of placing their children into the presence and care of God. I'm a minister, so I have listened for years and years just as you have, but I've I've probably heard it more than many in this room. It's irrelevant whether it's said once or said a thousand times. I've heard too many times people say, I'm going to let my children make up their own mind. And my response is always the same, and they will. And it doesn't matter what you think you want them to choose. They're not going to. And if you try to placate, hear me, I'm talking to fathers today. Can I talk to father? What good is Father's Day if we can't become fathers? And for the father that tries to placate and the father that tries to pass off and the father that tries to overlook and for the father that doesn't hold the feet to the fire, to the father that will spare the rod, to the father that won't tell the child the truth, to that father, I want to tell you today, your seed is in trouble. There might never be a day where your seed doesn't come to you and say, what a mighty man you are. But there will be a day where your seed seed will ask, who was your dad? A legacy is not established until the third generation. And if the third generation does not know who the father of the first generation was, is there a legacy at all? We have a responsibility as fathers. We have a responsibility to stand up. We have a responsibility, if not before, then today to be reminded this morning of who you are as a father and to, and to recognize that whatever is, has been given to you, whatever has made you a father. My daughter, my oldest daughter, sent me a text. She actually said it about four times to me now reminding me. She said, you can thank me for making you a daddy because I'm your first child. <laughs> And I'm responsible for those children. I'm responsible, have been responsible for those three children all of their lives. I will continue to have some sense of responsibility for them as long as I'm alive. Even when I'm gone, there's an inheritance that I will leave to my children in responsibility to them. Because what legacy is there? If in the third generation they do not remember who the father was, if my grandchildren do not know who I am, then I have not positioned myself in such a way to establish something that can be eternal. That's on me, a daddy. So too many fathers allow their children to find their own place in God instead of placing them right in the middle of it. An example of it, again, I go back and I think about all the parents that I've heard say over time, I'm not going to make my kids go to church. I'm going to let them do that if they want to. Then why do you even go? Because clearly you don't believe in it. Well, I'm going to let my children, you know, we're just going to, I'm going to make these things important. I'm going to tell you something. Putting your children into the presence of God is more important than getting them a birthday gift on birthdays. It's more important than making sure they get an education. It's more important than making sure they do anything else. Putting them in the house of God is more, you need to hear me today. If you take that away from your children, you are saying, God, I, I might be in your presence, but I believe nothing you say. The world is looking for an alternative to fathers because fathering gets in the way. And whenever we do not like the definition of something, mankind has this this sense. Whenever we don't like the definition of something, we find a way to redefine it so that it fits our liking. We look for an alternative to the truth. Consider Eve. She said, hey, let's eat this thing. Surely we will not die. I'm going to find an alternative to the truth. The truth is, you eat this, you're going to die. But I'm going to find an alternative. He didn't really, surely we're not going to die. I mean, come on. Or Saul. God didn't mean destroy everything. So he kept alive what would become his curse. Or consider Moses. What God meant to say, because it's what he said the first time, was to strike the rock. That's what he meant to say. So I'm going to redefine this. When it doesn't fit our, our moment, when it doesn't fit our liking, when it doesn't fit into what we want it to be, the nature of man, the nature of Adam in us is to redefine it. It started with Adam and, it, and the nature is to redefine that. And because these people tried to redefine the truth, Yahweh re, he removed the blessing from every one of them. Moses did not go in, Saul did not receive his inheritance, and Adam and Eve suffered, introduced sin into the earth. And in the same way, the world today struggles to identify what a father is, and they struggle that because every time a father rises up, the world does everything it can to find an alternative. Only because it is not accepted that what Yahweh says a father is, it is always, the world is always vigorously trying to redefine who and what dad is. From cartoons to comedy to homosexuality, there is an attack. On what a father is the very nature of homosexuality is to remove fathers it doesn't care about removing mothers it cares about removing fathers because without the seed there's nothing coming after I recently responded I never do this never do this but I recently responded to Senator Liu or whatever his name is one of the one of the senators online he, he was I saw an article that he had or a statement that he had made online and I'll say this publicly and I'm and I mean it. But he made a statement and he, he said, I'm going to tell the, the Congress today. He was standing before Congress and he said, I'm going to speak to you and I'm going to tell you exactly what Jesus Christ said about homosexuality. And then he was silent for 15 seconds. And then when he was done, he said, and that's all he said, meaning nothing. And then people were commenting, oh, that's exactly right. Thank you for making it clear. Thank you for letting everybody know that Jesus didn't care about it and yada, 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 yada and i was the more common i read the more just righteousness of god rose up and i and i said i logged in created an account and i just wrote on there just very simply very kindly i said the reason jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality is because god already said everything that needed to be said and I said, if you want to know what those things are, let's, I refer you to Romans 6. I refer you to Leviticus chapter 12. Oh. Period. And I left it at that. Right. Yes. And then the comments that followed that have been awesome. I just looked yesterday. So in other words, I said, shut up. Sorry, children. But from cartoons to comedy to homosexuality, there is an attack on fathers. They are doing everything they can to take fathers away. They're doing everything they can to diminish what a father's role is. I'm telling you, I love who my father was in my life. I love what he did in my life. And I will do anything, absolutely anything for my children. But the thing I will do most always is tell them the truth. There is nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. But there is one thing that is, takes importance over everything else. And that is, I'm going to tell you the truth. You might not receive it, kids, and you might not like it. I'm telling you, the same is true of this house. And if you've been in this house for any length of time, you know it's true. What takes precedence over everything else is I'm going to tell the truth at least the way I interpret it. And if I interpret it, if he shows me differently later, I'll correct that. But I'm going to tell the truth. Fathers have a responsibility to do that, and they have an equal responsibility not only to tell it, but to hear it. No one can be what a father is except a father. There is no, no replacement for a father. Someone might say, well, what about the kids that don't have a father? All they have is a mother. And it goes both ways, but today we're talking about fathers. What about those children that they have a mom, but they don't have a dad, or they have a dad that has just gone vacant in their lives? What about those children? I'm telling you what, I believe that Yahweh is faithful to always put somebody, to put a fatherly figure in the life of every single person. Doesn't have to be married to that mama. He might be outside of that. But he's always faithful to put a fatherly figure in the life of every single person because God knows more than anybody how important fathering is. There are no alternatives. And we must... We have a responsibility, Christian, to teach our children that this is the truth. We, every father under the sound of my voice, every mother... Under the sound of my voice, every person that doesn't have children yet, we have a responsibility to say to our children, there is no alternative to being a daddy. There is no other option to being a daddy. Only a daddy can be a daddy. Just like only a mommy can be a mommy. But there's no alternative to being a father. My mom I'm gonna wrap it up, but my mother shared a story with me this week that uh, was moved me. I know a lot about my dad, and you know you can never tell a story. Let me say this, and I know my mother's watching today, and I never say anything that will, I never intentionally say anything that would embarrass anybody. But I was, I was, uh, my dad that I speak of today was not. He's not my biological father, but he's the father that accepted me, that wanted me, that held me. In his hands. Amen. And as I, I, I realized this week, no matter who we are, we can never tell a story that does not somehow touch more than us. Right. So for every, every time I talk about my father and every time I share even the story that my mother shared with me this week, I cannot tell that story without also impacting my mother. I was born to a man she was not married to, and this man became the man that, in every sense of the word, uh, loved me, raised me, taught me, cared for me, desired me, wanted me. There was never a time in my life as a child growing up. I didn't know he wasn't my dad until I was twelve, but there was never a time in my life before or after that, certainly. Uh, more apropos after never a time that I ever thought does he really care even after I came to the knowledge that he was not my biological father I never thought does he am I in his way he never made me feel less than his natural son my brother He never made me feel like the outcast, never made me feel like he did less. If he threw my brother in the air at the lake three times, he threw me in the air at the lake three times. If he bought my brother a car, his first car, he bought me my first car, it's true. If he said to my brother, get me the half inch open end wrench, he said to Steve, Steve go get me the half inch open end wrench. He didn't play favorites, neither did he take it easier on me. He never had the sense of, well, he's not really mine, so maybe I don't have responsibility over him. Never did that. And my mother shared a story with me this week that I did not know, but she shared this story with me, and I want to share it with you about him. And she shared this. I was one year old, a little over one. And my mother had a big glass table. She loved glass tables. I've told you about this. And the one I'm about to tell you, evidently she replaced it because it's the same. Another one, she used to chase us around to spank our heinies. She did not spare the rod. And, but she had a big glass table. She was telling me this story. And she said, when my sister and myself, my sister is a little over a year younger than me. She's 17 months younger than me. And she would put us in the middle of that table well, at that time, my sister was not born, but she would put me in the middle of the table. Later, both of us in the new one she got. But she would set me in the middle of that table. She would take photographs of us, of me. She would take pictures, and she'd do whatever she did with those pictures. And I had learned that, I guess, at being one, one and a half years old, I had learned that being in the middle of that table was good. Somehow, that was okay. So one day, my mother and my aunt were in the kitchen and they were cooking, and. And I was in the other room and, and doing whatever. Mom, why was I in there by myself? <laughs> and, um, but I was in the other room, and, and the next thing they know, they know, they hear this shattering of glass, just glass blowing up. And she said she yelled out my name, and she went into the living room where she heard the sound, her and my aunt, and I'm sitting in the middle of this huge glass table. It had shattered, and I was sitting in the middle of glass. I'd climbed up on it, and it broke, and I'm in the middle of all this glass. And there's a piece of glass that is still whole, but it is leaning towards me, like it's about to slide and cut me. And so she said she yelled at me. She said, Stevie, you'll never say that, but she did. She said, (laughs) Stevie, be still, be still. And she just kept telling me to be still, and she didn't want to alarm me. She didn't want me to get startled and feel like I was going to cry. She said, I did not cry. I just sat there and I was trying to figure out what was going on. And she went over and she said, my aunt grabbed that big piece of glass that was going to slide and slice me. And she grabbed me and she picked me up very slowly. And she took my clothes off and made sure, dusted everything off. And I did not have a single scratch on me, but I was laying in the middle of a pile of glass. And she said, I gave you a bath. I, I took you in the bedroom, I put you to bed, put you to, fed you and put you to sleep. And she said, then your dad came home. And she said, when he came home, um, he asked, where's Steve? And she said, he went to bed and he said, what happened to that table? And she told him, and, she, and then he asked where I was. And he went into the bedroom, got me out of the bed, and he picked me up. And he held me in his arms. And all, she said, all he kept doing was saying, I'm so glad you're mine, and I'm so glad you're safe, and I love you so much, and and I couldn't lose you, and, and just kept pouring his heart out for who I was to him. And then she told me that when she let him know that she was pregnant with me and he was not the father, that when she told him that his response was not anger, his response, he didn't blow up, he didn't cast stones. He didn't do any of that. He said, whatever child is in your belly is going to be mine. And I want him and I'm going to take care of him. She said, son, he idolized you and didn't know if you were a boy or a girl. From the day he knew that I was pregnant with you, he knew that you were assigned to him. And this man that Knew how to love. He passed in 2013. And I'm glad that I had the opportunity before he passed to tell him the kind of father that he was to me. The last time he visited here, see, I wasn't a great kid. I I mean, I did things just like every child might. I'm assuming. I'm, I'm certain I'm not the only one. But I remember finding out and I'll say this very quickly. I remember the day when I or the time when I when I was aware of who my biological father was and I met him and then I went and he lived not far from where my father lived that raised me and I don't want to confuse you. But I remember going and I moved in with my biological father only for a few months but it was too long and I moved in with him And then when I went over to my father's house who raised me, I just verbally abused him and attacked him. Suddenly, I disqualified him. You had no right to be the one to raise me. You had no right. And I just, and I see it. I see myself standing on the front porch today looking at his face on the other side of that screen door and just unloading everything I could think of to say to him. And then turning around on that porch and I walked and I got in my car and I drove off. Never considering how that made him feel, which I knew later and then i remember driving into a mcdonald's parking lot sometime after that and i'm sitting in a mcdonald's parking lot or burger king i'm sitting in a burger king parking lot and i'm sitting out there eating by myself and my dad comes over i didn't know he was there and he had driven through and evidently saw me in the car and he drives over and he comes up to the window in the car and he it was a uh, uh, winter day and he knocked on the window and i look up and there he is standing there my dad that raised me my he is my father and he knocked on the door window and I rolled the window down and he said, I know that what you think and I know what you said. But all I want you to know is you're my son and I love you. He turned around, he went and got in his car and he drove off. I was 19. 19 years old. And I'm glad that I was able to sometime after that go to him and 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 really just apologize and make it right, but it never felt whole. I felt like I had damaged him in a way that maybe there was no recovery and then the last time that he was here before he passed, he visited here at the rock, and some of you will remember, but he he asked he raised his hand a, a hand and asked he said, "Can I say something and and I let him and he stood up and with tears and he's just sobbing like a child. And he's just sobbing and, and was just thankful. And I love my son and just blessed me. And he blessed all of you. And he blessed this house and how he had been changed. And it just, just amazing. And, and we went home and before he left, I had the opportunity. And I sat my dad down on our back porch on our patio at our house. And I just sat him down and I just said, Dad, I just want to tell you what kind of father you are to me. And I just went down the road. You taught me this, and you taught me this, and you taught me this. None of who I am would be possible if I did not receive from you the things that you put in me. I realize and I recognize you didn't do everything right. But man, if I count up all the things that you didn't do right, and I count up all the things I didn't do right, man, I tip the scale in all the wrong ways. (laughs) He was not perfect in form and function, but he was perfect in love. Everything about him mattered. And I tell you today, I'm so thankful that I was able to say him, say to him on that day, you are the epitome of what a father is. And there is, there are no alternatives for the spirit of fatherhood. That you represent in this earth. For him I wanted to remove any doubts. That he may have ever had. About how I felt about him. I want to say this to you today. I know that all of us have situations. We have places. um, Experiences with our fathers. I know some of yours. um, I know what they are. And I know some of the pains. I know some of the challenges. I know some of that. I think the point I want to make today is, I think the point Holy Spirit wants to make today is what Noah said to Ham's children. He said, I'm going to address the seed because that's how this is perpetuated, either good or bad. Either righteousness or unrighteousness is perpetuated in the seed. The father only has responsibility for the first generation. And then if he raised up good sons and daughters, they will have responsibility for the next generation and so on and so forth. So no matter what kind of father you might have had, I was blessed. I was blessed. Not that I had a biological father. I don't even know him. I met him. He passed too. I don't know him. But I was blessed that God put somebody in my life that represented a father to me that completely and in every way changed who I am. I can stand here today with confidence because of Ibra Elmer Parker, a farm boy from Parma, Missouri. And I can stand here and I can confidently preach the gospel today because I stand as one who is loved. I stand as one who would say to me, son, this is the way, walk in it. And the same man would say to me, if you walk in that way, trouble's coming. He did not let me make my own choices until I was prepared to do so. So I say to the dads today, stop putting a responsibility on your children to make choices they are completely unprepared for whether they think they are or not. Own the responsibility of fatherhood. Because the next generation, if it's going to walk in blessing, is going to walk in it. Because you released upon it, you loosed upon it, the glory of fatherhood. Stand with me if you would.